Now, we've been talking about neighboring, loving people well, being with the Lord, being with people. But I feel like in our culture, it's hard because it's crazy. And crazy has become normal. And we just think that everybody lives like this, so hey, you know, I should too. Now, doesn't that seem a little different than Jesus' message? Jesus usually doesn't say, well, everybody lives like that, so you should too. That seems kind of like the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is more like, do everything different. Pay, you know, blaze a new path. Do this brand new thing in Jesus. So today we're going to kind of get into that a little bit. And I want to share for, with you something from, John, uh, from, from Luke chapter 10. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. Familiar with it? Okay. I am too. I've heard that story a hundred times at least, right? Dewey told me this morning, maybe the hundred and first time is the one that really matters. Tim Gray, how many of you know Tim and Dolly Ray? Tim Gray gave me these verses along with a couple of others about a couple months ago. And he said, I really feel like God's put these verses on my heart for you. And I don't even know what that means, but I'm just going to give them to you and see what happens. So I read through it, and I, and, and I had to kind of, you know, change my mind a little bit, because I'm like, I already know that story. Like, come on, Tim. Really, I was saying, come on, Lord, I already know that story. But I feel like the Lord was saying, listen to it with new ears. See what I have for you in this. So I want to tell you, Caneo Church, listen to this story with new ears. The Lord has something for you in it. Okay? Okay? Right on. Luke 10. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, dear Martha, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much, getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. It won't be taken from her. Jesus is the main course. Amen? Amen. Man, I love that. Now, there's one really obvious lesson from this story. This is not a parable. This is a real story that happened. One really obvious lesson is Mary's busy, Martha's busyness hurt her relationships. It got in the way of her relating to Jesus and to her sister. Notice she was upset at both of them. Picture that, being upset at the Lord, right? Telling him how he should do it. It literally says she was distracted by the preparations. She was too busy spending time in the kitchen to focus on the guest. I feel like the Lord gave Tim these verses for me because I've been too busy in the kitchen. I really have. And you know what's funny? Have you ever noticed that the Lord has a sense of humor? Sometimes it just, it's funny, but it's, you know, it kind of gets under my skin. I'm like, really, Lord? This is a little too close to home. The words in here 
for distracted in the Greek mean to drag around, to drag around a bunch of thoughts and all this stuff. And the word for working in the kitchen, for serving, is ministries. So literally when I read that, I was like, I'm dragging around ministries. And it's keeping me from the king. Whoa, man, that was real. You might say that all you have belongs to Jesus. Your house, your job, your relationships, your very life. But here's the question, does he have your attention? Right? Because Martha would say, I'm doing all this for Jesus. I'm getting, I'm getting this, this thing ready. It's going to be so great because I love him and I honor him. And I, the, the, right? She was trying to do it right. She was literally, Jesus called her out for serving him. That's what, that's what happened. But she was dragging around all this ministry and not giving him her undivided attention. Hmm. In my life, I feel like my hurry was keeping me safely at a distance from Jesus. And I chose that word safely on purpose because it's safer to be busy. It's safer to be at a distance from him because then he can't mess with my life. I'm doing the things that are serving him. I'm making him a great meal. But if I sit at his feet, things are going to be a little different. Hurry is a great enemy of spiritual life. John Ortberg wrote a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's really good. Very practical. It gets into spiritual disciplines with like normal language. He said this, love and hurry are not compatible because love takes time. And time is something hurried people don't have. That's pretty real. Think about it. Do you have some people in your life that are just hurry, 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 busy, busy, busy people? They're not really with you. They're with themselves. They might be with you physically, but man, their mind and their heart and their energy is over here. It's kind of us with the Lord. And I feel like, just for a second, just picture like, what does the Lord think about your last couple of weeks? And it's not judgmental. He's not mean. He's not vindictive. He's like, you bet. No. But as a friend, as a partner, as a lover, what is, what is it like for Jesus when you show up? Are you like, Jesus, I want to be with you? Or are you like, Jesus, you know, I don't really have time right now. I got all this. Or you're like, man, I got to get this devotion done. Like, Jesus, let's just go quick today. Isn't that how we are? Man. Now, to be fair to Mary... There were at least 15 people showing up for dinner. The disciples, Jesus, right? Mary, Martha, Lazarus. We know there's a crowd. And then some commentators would say, if Jesus is in town, you're going to have all the other disciples too. And then some commentators are going to say, you're also going to have a bunch of people from the town that here he's there and they're going to show up for snacks. So Martha is like, she's thinking like, I got to provide for all this. And Mary, you're not helping. And right? So this is not bad. But this, there are a lot of observations that we can learn from this story. Now, Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha rushed around. She loved Jesus and she wanted to be with him and she didn't care what anybody thought. She listened to him and she waited and she wanted to learn. Picture yourself sitting at Jesus' feet. 
peacefully. Not like, oh, I've got to ask him about, no. Not, oh, I need his help with, no. Just sit and listen. Picture yourself in that place. You're a little child, you're sitting at his feet. Sitting at his feet is the most exciting place you can be. This is better than skydiving, although I do want to do that. Stace, I need to do that. Sitting at his feet is, is amazing and exciting and challenging. Do you know why? Because you never know what he's going to do. Jesus made the religious people so nervous because they never knew what he was going to do and they never knew what he was going to say. I mean, they thought, like, this is the Sabbath. He couldn't create trouble in the temple. And then he goes and heals all kinds of people and says all these things. And then they're thinking, like, ask him some simple questions. What's the greatest commandment? What do we do about paying taxes? What do we... They, they think he's going to be predictable, and then what does he do? He, nail, he just goes like totally outside the box. Sitting at Jesus' feet is a place where we get surprised. Sitting at Jesus' feet is unpredictable. It's interesting. It's risky. Being in the kitchen, no risk. I'm making food. The outcome is clear. Either I'm going to make food or I'm not going to make food. And Lord knows I'm going to make that food, Right? But sitting at his feet, what's he going to ask her to do? What's he going to tell her about the kingdom? What's he going to tell her about herself? He's going to unlock things in Mary's life, and she's going to go, wow. And she's going to be forever changed. Time at his feet allows wonder and allows mystery to develop. And we under, I mean, think about spending time with the eternal. I've never... I've never sat physically at his feet and listened to the voice of the eternal God tell me about my life. Whoa. And he will call you to new adventure. He'll call you into a new way of life. He'll reorient, he'll change, he'll make you grow. And when we're in a place of love and security, surprise is awesome, it's a delight, it's fantastic. How many of you don't like surprises? How many of you do really like surprises? It's a mixed crowd, right? But think about a little kid when you say, okay, close your eyes and hold out your hands because I'm going to give you a great surprise. Now, assuming no one's ever played a dirty trick on you, that is a beautiful thing. In love and in security and in great relationship, the kid's like, yeah, I can't wait to see what this is. That's what it's like sitting at Jesus' feet because we don't know what's going to happen. And if we trust him and we love him, we know that the gift he's going to give, the time that he's going to spend, the thing that he's going to invest in us is going to be so, so good. His surprises often mean letting go of our control and letting go of our stuff, right? Now, if Martha had come in in the middle of that, right? Now, we don't know what happens next, but if Martha had listened and sat down, what would Jesus have done? He probably would have said, Leave the food, right? I'm going to change the rest of your afternoon. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You don't have to do any of that. We're going out, right? He will change our priorities. He will change our order, our structure, the things that we're running after. But we have to be willing to say, I have no idea, God, what you're going to ask me to do, but I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to sit at your feet. I'm willing to listen, and let's do it. Now, I don't know about you, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be in the the predictable zone of like, do this, do this, checklist, checklist. 
I want to be in the place where I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yes. I want to be in that exciting, surprising, I don't even know what's going to happen next. That's the life he's called us into. He's, he did not die so that you could have a predictable, boring life. He didn't. And yet, what are Christians known for? That's ridiculous, right? Jesus was not crucified because he was predictable and boring. It was the opposite. He came to bring a whole new deal, a new kingdom on earth. And he invites us into that. And and he says, this is the life I've called you to. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to go there? So what does God want to do in the life of our church, in our church family, through the Mary story? Because I feel like this thing that Tim threw at me, this dart, thanks a lot, Tim. It's not just for me, it's for us. But I, f- I feel like what the Lord wants to do with us is I really sense he wants to call us out of a predictable zone that we've been in. That it's like, oh, you show up, you sit in your seat, you go to church, and then you go home, right? And if you're really bold, you go to presto pasta, and then you go home. <laughs> I feel like what he wants to do with us is shake all of that and say, who do I want you to be? I want you to be like me. I want you to do the Jesus things. I want you to think like me and love like me and be like me and go out like me and change the world like me. And I feel like he wants to to change our checklists. He probably wants us to throw away our checklist. If it's keeping us from him, is it worth it? Man, he has so much more for us. But it's going to involve risk and surprises and change and growth. We've got to be willing to show up. We've got to be willing to, to risk and say, if, if this costs me my job, if this costs me my car, if this costs me my vacation, what are those things? I just said that in the Kanea Valley. Yes, I did. The Lord wants us to live with him, to follow him out on the water, to go for it. I really feel like the Lord wants to change hundreds of lives through you potentially thousands of lives through you. Not through hearing Kirk speak, through you. He wants to release you out into this community to love people like crazy. And you know what's going to be fun? We're going to baptize a lot of people because their lives are going to be revolutionized, turned way upside down because we become more like Mary and we listen and we start following and we're mo- we spend time with Jesus, not just rushing around, but listening. And then we're motivated by his love and he shoots us out into the community. Here's something interesting that I noticed about Mary. She was a terrible hostess. Now in our culture, being a hostess, right, is kind of cool. You buy magazines, you read blogs, some of you are into this, right? Now I was over at your house. You're a great hostess. Now here's the, so is my wife. Now here's the thing. That's not bad. But Mary did not fall into that cultural expectation. In fact, she didn't make food, and she also did something else crazy. She sat at the rabbi's feet, which was reserved for men. So not only was she a terrible hostess, she was kind of like not fulfilling her role as a woman in her culture. She stepped out of it, and she's like, I don't care. I'm spending time with him. So in our culture, we follow rules and structures and expectations and we keep up with the Joneses and, and in God's eyes, that's all garbage. That's nothing. Yeah, nothing. 
The stuff that our culture says that you have to do, I was talking with Jerry this morning. When, when we say, you know, we have to send our kids to a four-year college, we have to drive a hybrid car, we have to, right? All this stuff that we have to do, you have to own a home, you have to, this is craziness. But we buy into this stuff in our culture, and yet Jesus says, I want you to reorient your life so that you can live counterculturally. Mary lived counterculturally, and she was judged for it, and she didn't care. I love that. Now, let me use our family as an example. We made a huge decision this fall, groundbreaking, earth-shattering. Bella did not play soccer. I'm serious. Now, I feel funny saying that because that seems like such a little teeny tiny thing. You know what's weird, though, in the Kaneo Valley? I don't know if Jesus is king. I think sports are king. Kids are king. So it was weird to make that decision and say, no, she doesn't need to play soccer right now. And you know what's funny? We started talking about it more because we individually made this decision and then together we're like, yeah, we got to do this. We realized that we had been... We had this terrible attitude about living up to this expectation. We hated going to the soccer fields. We hated the team. We hated the coaches. We hated the whole process. We hated buying the uniforms. We, we began to hate the people that were sent to love. We resented being there. Why? Because this cultural expectation has created this thing that's wrong. So should you go to soccer or should you not? That's up to you before Jesus. But here's what I do know. There are a lot of families that are not here because they're at the fields right now. Or because they spent all day there yesterday volunteering as refs or you don't get the points so you can't win the championship because Lord knows their kids are going to all be pro players someday. (laughs) Now, we can poke fun, but it's hard in our culture to know what do we say yes to, what do we say no to when the expectation is say yes to everything, right? Right? Do three travel teams. So, so for us, we've said no to soccer this fall, and we've tried to say yes to some of the right things in its place. And, and in the fall, we're, we're, we just, we're, let it, we're having our kids do one sport at a time, and if it's off this season, it's off this season. They don't need to play off-season ball. Now, here's, here's the other thing that's interesting. My kids are good athletes, so they don't stink. But, and, and am I holding them back? No, because they're going to know that we love them and we care for them and we're going, to have, we're going to be parents that are present. And we're going to be people who love our neighbors and love our friends and love our family. And we're having time spent with the Lord, so we're listening to him. Okay, are you hearing me? Yes. Okay, awesome. Now, when I slow my mind down and I sit at the feet of Jesus, I've noticed that he puts certain people on my mind and on my heart. Have you had that experience? When you're slow enough, you're like, oh, what about so-and-so? And And then if you follow that, sometimes you call them and you go, what's going on? I've been thinking about you. They go, oh, well, here's what's going on. It's amazing when we just slow down for a second and say, Lord, what's on your heart? People are on his heart. That's what it is. So I have a neighbor named Doug. I drove up one day. Incidentally, Doug has noticed how busy we are as a family, and he has commented on that. And he said, we should get together sometime, but you guys are pretty busy. And I felt like a sword went through my heart. I was like, oh, geez, what impression am I giving to my neighbors of what a believer is? That I'm just running at church stuff all the time? That's insane. 
So anyway, I've begun to slow the train down and notice. So I drove into my driveway. I noticed Doug. He's out gardening. He never does that. And he, his face just looks kind of dark. And I was like, that's weird. I wonder what's up. I had stuff to do. I had my to-do list. I, had, you know, I hadn't said hi to Stacy or the kid. But I was like, something showed me I needed to go talk to him. So I went and I said, you know, what, what's going on? You all right? He goes, no. My dad died yesterday. I was like, I wasn't really expecting that, right? So rather than saying, you know, playing it safe and going, okay, let us know if you need anything, I'll be inside. I stayed in that moment and I said, wow, I'm so sorry. How's your mom doing? And then he told me and I stayed in that moment again and I said, how are you? That's scary and risky, crazy thing to say, right? And then we just stayed in that moment for a little bit. It wasn't about what I asked or what I said. It was about staying there. And then I said, let me know how we can help. And I'm not just saying that. And I didn't say, I'll pray for you, buddy. No. How can we help with the kids? When's the service? Do you need food? What, do you, what can we do? So then he said, do you know anything about burial at sea? So I said, yes, I do. So I took him out. I have access to a boat. I took him and his mom and his sister out and the kids and his wife. And I want to show you a couple pictures. So his daughter got to drive the boat. (laughs) And then we got out and we sprinkled ashes and flowers out on the water halfway to Anacapa and golf balls and good scotch. And to see the ashes down in the water along with the flowers floating was just unbelievable. And, and this is him and his mom seeing the flowers in the background. God gave us the most beautiful day on the water I think I've ever seen. I've been out on the water a hundred times, but this is a hundred and first. This was the one. And, and at the end of the day, this little sea lion popped up, a little pup like this big, out of nowhere. And I just thought, hey, that's cool, right? So the sea lion pops up, starts bobbing around the boat, barking and having fun, and the kids are having a blast. And then as soon as he's there, and he's gone. And then we're driving back, and we're seeing dolphins, and it was just like God just invited us into his playground. That's 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 what my neighbor said. He said, like, this is like God's playground today. How cool to hear that. And then I said, yeah, and how about that sea lion? And he goes, you have no idea. He said, my mom and I were just talking. Our dad is like that. My dad's like that. Playful and fun and in and out and just like crazy. And he goes, I feel like that was a gift from God for us. What? Do you know how this happened? Because I drove in my driveway and I said, you know, he doesn't look very good. And I slowed down enough to notice that he didn't look very good. And you know what happened that day? I felt like I got to invite them to sit at Jesus' feet with me. And we hung out in God's playground and enjoyed him for a little while. And we got to borrow his camper last weekend for Carpinteria. And God's developing this relationship and this really good friendship over time. And it's so fun to think about what the Lord's going to do in their lives as they begin to trust him more and more and more. And that day was a, a groundbreaker. 
a turning point, and I just know it. I just feel it. Jesus requires our devotion and our attention. Total and exclusive devotion without excuses. He's not okay with nominal and half-hearted commitment. Think about that. Even if you feel like you're super busy and you have a lot of really important things to do, he's not okay with half-heartedness. That's not a good enough excuse to say, I just have a lot to do, Lord. I was thinking about this. One lie that I bought into in my life is other people have more time than I do. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody spoke into my life and said, how many hours do you have? 24. How many hours does everyone have? Everyone on the planet has the same amount of time. It's crazy to say other people have more time. It's, you know, the Lord says, no, I have given you all the same thing. You've been entrusted with this time. Some people would say it's the only thing you've been given that you're in control of is time. Now, I want to challenge you guys just for a minute, guys and gals, just pray and just ask the Lord, what does it mean for my life to be countercultural? What does it mean for me to adjust my time, to change some things around so that my life is intriguing to people? That people in our culture would look at my life and say, why does he live like that? I wonder what it is about that guy that makes him peaceful or different or loving people differently or available. And just say, Lord, what is it that you want to change in me? Now I want to ask everybody to stand up for a second. Do you remember that picture of a little kid waiting for a surprise? Just hold out your hands. And I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to have the band pop up here. Lord, we ask that you would surprise us. We ask, Lord, that we would listen to your voice, that we would follow your leading, that we would not be distracted. And Lord, as we hold out our hands, we show our availability to you and our trust of you and our desire to be with you. And Jesus, your word says that all good gifts are from above. We receive your good gifts recalibrate our lives. Surprise us with your grace. Surprise us with your love. Surprise us with insight into people's lives that need to know you. Surprise us with time that's freed up to spend with you as we make the right choices. Lord, take over control of our lives. If you want to change some things, Lord, that are beyond our power, if you want to reorient and recalibrate and reorganize our lives, we say yes. Because it's for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your deep love. And thank you for time spent at your feet today. Amen.